Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program, produced by Magic Matt Allen of the Outlaw Radio Network. True Crime Uncensored, I am the terminally obnoxious, legendary Burl Bear. Well, at least you've got that right. I got that right. You've got that right. That's what I get for reading my reviews. So, what's your prognosis then? My prognosis is on the front of my face, right above my lips. It's a prognosis. <laughs> Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. Thank you. How's the star doing? Good. All-stars there. Yeah. All-stars in our... The stars are aligned in our favor? They're all doing well. That's good. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is well hidden in the corner behind a barrel of pickles. Where's Frank J. Hagen? He should probably be in the barrel. <laughs> well, the only reason I have a barrel is I don't have any clothes. Yeah, whatever you say. I can't understand a word the kid says. I can't understand a word. Yeah. Stay away from the microphone. They might hear yeah, you. Why is it we have him on the show? I have no idea. Uh, it's because I... he prepares for each show by giving us a fact sheet about well, our guests. He has an answer, though. What was your answer? Because uh, I don't let you not have me on the show. Oh. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Frank Hagen? His food's here. He's in the, he's in the house. He's in the house, but we're not in the house. We're in the lounge. Yeah, we're out in the uh, light-up lounge, and, and he is in uh, the he's air conditioning. He's still <laughs> staying in the air conditioning as long as he can. Yeah, I don't blame But that's our friend Frank J. Hagen. Where are we at today, bro? Uh, we're in the light-up lounge. We're no, I know that. Oh. I know where we are. We've already identified that. Now let's identify what we're doing here. We're doing fentanyl. Okay. <clears throat> That'll <laughs> not, not too much of it, mind you, but just enough to take the edge of being in broadcasting off. <laughs> one of the funniest things you've said in a long time. <laughs> one of the most true things I've said in a long time. That truth is always funny, or funny is always true. Yeah. Truth is stranger than fiction. Someone said that once. I don't think that was true. It had nothing to do with any of us. The you think possibly you could get to your friggin' guest? You think so? Oh, is he here? Move towards that. I haven't yeah. seen him. Oh, he's probably on the phone. And He's on the phone, yes. Oh, hi there, uh, Daniel. How you doing, Hello, pal? Bear. Yes, I'm still a living legend. I haven't seen you in a while. Yes, since I was yes, in New York City. Daniel, it's Howard, and, you, I, and I, have a, I have a handsome hello for you also. Thank yeah. you. Hello, Howard. Thank Good you. Good to hear your voice. Always a pleasure to be voiced. You were on What's-His-Name's radio show. Uh, Mark Boyer listened to it. I did. Oh, yes, Pat Dixon. Pat Dixon's show. I was on there twice recently. Uh, he must have been hard up for guests, too. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you wouldn't believe me. He put me on a third show. The third show was called The Trump Show. Really? I, yes. And I went on the show, and I said, you know, Trump, he's not really a perfect candidate. And both the guys went, no, 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 no. We love him. We love him. It wasn't that kind of show. Oh. Then what uh, happened? Then what happened? I, 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 I held to my own. I, you know. Yeah, well. Somewhere that's in sure between. That. I'm a centrist. You know, I'm a centrist. You're, yeah, you're a centrist. You and Mussolini. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I remember uh, the movie uh, what, Tea with Mr. Mussolini. Did you ever see that one? No. It's quite a good film. Why is it you bring up Mussolini and... and in our guest in the same 
just to irritate him. <laughs> it irritated me for crying. <laughs> Let's see how good I am. Yeah. I irritated more than one with one well comment. Well done, yeah. Wow. It's not every radio host who can do that. Why? You know, here in New York, in Little Italy, yeah. back even in, in the, as late as the 80s, there used to be portraits of Mussolini on Mulberry Street. <laughs> you would walk down the street and look into now. a store that sold mozzarella cheese and, and, and uh, prosciutto, and in the back there'd be a portrait of Il Duce. Ah. Because the old ladies, they loved his chin, you know? Yeah, they, they did. Man, they had big plans manly, for that chin. Manly. <laughs> Chin. Yeah. He was well hung, too, at the end, I believe. Oh, man. <laughs> man. It's I, true story. Oh, I know it's a true story, but whoa. Whoa. How easy could that get? It got pretty easy. It did. <laughs> Just kicked the chair out from under him. So, Daniel, uh, what, what have you been up to? What do you got here for us today? Well, I, I thought we should talk about fentanyl because everybody else is. Every, there's signs all over the subways here in New York about the dangers of fentanyl, and I've been hearing about it, and people, people have been dying from it. So maybe we should talk about what it actually is, what it, what you know, what it does, and how much of this is hype and how much of this yeah, is... Yeah, I always figure that when there's a big uh, moral panic over something, it's because someone wants to do some repressive legislation somewhere. Oh. Yeah, you're absolutely right there because some of these signs, for example, they, they you know, you guys realize that fentanyl is uh, a down, right? Yeah, it's I mean, a down. Everyone, everyone knows that. Yeah. So, so, so the signs, they say, watch out. Because there might be fentanyl in your cocaine. No. Now, who would put fentanyl in cocaine? Well, uh, Why would... If no you, one in their right mind. If you're looking for an even balance, uh, you might as well not do it. Just do it that <laughs> That's right. Just don't do it. You'll right. be fine. Yeah, you might as well not even do it. It's the same exactly. high. It's the zero high. Right. So these but, signs are everywhere. They say that the fentanyl is everywhere. Uh, they also say it's an ecstasy. It's not. Oh come on! Hang on. Let's let's start from the beginning because it seems you know with the beginning. What? Tell us what it is. Okay, fentanyl is a very powerful painkiller that is an opioid, which means it's a molecular copy of 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 the opiate molecule. So it, it attaches to the same uh, pain centers in the brain, which are conversely the pleasure centers. It fits in the way a key fits in a lock. It fits in very well, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier very easily. And fentanyl is different from other opiates like morphine or uh, Percocet. It's different because it's very highly concentrated. So there's a reason why. Yeah. I, I, the fentanyl is meant to be put into patches that go on the skin. And the patches let the drug go through your skin and enter your bloodstream slowly. Now, from, from what I, I've heard that nurses take the patches all, off of the uh, cancer patients and then they suck out the gel inside and they get really high off this because the stuff inside is concentrated and it's also very small little things that can get through the, the pores of the skin. So that's how it uh, enters the bloodstream so easily. 
Well, what, I, what I've read about it, Daniel, and, and, and uh, I think I'm on the right track here, is that where it is useful is for chronic pain sufferers who are already uh, opioid tolerant. In other words, they've been uh -huh. on uh, opiates for a long time. Right. And that the whole idea is this, they put the patch on and gradually, over a period of, the, of time, over the day, it gradually gets into the system and consistently stops the pain without getting them screwed up. But. Right. But. And the big butt is, what's the big butt? Uh, <coughs> Jennifer Long. Oh. <laughs> oh, just a second. Comedy is in the building. Uh, um, uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, 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 what's the butt? Because the butt is, people take it on mass. Right. They don't let it seep into the skin. Right. Not not good. Well, that's a, that is a judgment call on someone's informed lifestyle choice. I'm go it's like if you were eight to eat an entire pack of cigarettes, which would be stupid, you would die from the nicotine poisoning. Yes. yes. But we don't. But the fact that people kill themselves slowly with cigarettes, as I've been doing for many decades, uh, doesn't cause these giant scare tactic, you know, watch out for it. They're putting nicotine in everything. Yes. Well, that's the thing is that somehow some fentanyl has slipped out and it's available in powdered form, so it's not just a gel anymore. And what they're doing is they're cutting heroin with it. Heroin is much more expensive because you have to smuggle it in from Afghanistan or whatever, and it's much uh, less concentrated. So a little bit of fentanyl put in the heroin makes it go a lot farther. Mm -hmm. That means that right now in New York City, all the heroin is really good. Mm. All the junkies are thrilled, and all the guys on methadone are going to get fentanyl because it breaks through their methadone. It's strong enough, like you said, how with the people who are already opioid tolerant, even guys on methadone can get high on fentanyl because it's just that strong. So, of course, there's overdoses. Well, of course there's overdoses because people have to go do it in secret. Well, yes, but, but here's, here's the thing. It's a, people are, are dying from it because the stuff is strong, not because the stuff is a poison. Right. The, the way it's being presented to the public, it's as if... And I, I had a drug counselor say to me, be careful, there's fentanyl out there. And even she, a professional drug counselor, didn't understand that the danger of fentanyl is simply that it's strong, not that it's rat poison or something. It's not strychnine or arsenic. They really don't seem to know. They just have been told that, that there's this stuff called fentanyl and it can kill somebody. That's like they used to say there was strychnine in the LSD, so you got to watch out for that strychnine. is everywhere. Right. Yes, yes. That, that was also nonsense. Yeah. So the, the fentanyl is not any kind of poison. It's just a very strong opiate. So somebody who's already opiate tolerant is not going to die from it, while somebody who may be having their first bag of dope, which is really a, probably a bad decision, uh, but uh, that person might actually, you know, have some problems from the fentanyl. No, well, Michael Jackson sure did. Well, he was he was not really taking opiates. He was taking the kind of drugs you take to have to go to anesthesia to be anesthetized which is really something. I don't know how he managed to get himself on that. 
Well, oh, because he was looking for something to put him to sleep. He couldn't sleep. But, but goddamn, how, how, <laughs> how hard could it be? Well, wait, could he take some no-do, uh, not no-do, is what the other stuff, sleepies? I don't know. I, I take one clonopin and I'm asleep. I, I know someone takes five clonopin and I wish they would be asleep. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Bappy, you? No, not me. No, I have a, a friend right, well, and acquaintance who does that. We can go back to Jackson. I mean, he was just loaded down by the doctor just loaded him up with fentanyl. Probably the doctor didn't know what, you know, the, the you know the amounts and dangers of it. Well, I don't know. There's something coming out of China that's pink. There's a pink heroin that comes from from China. Apparently, you could order it on PiratesBay.com. Have you heard of the, these? Yeah, companies? I've also ordered it on my low main. <laughs> How is the, does the low main get you where you want to be? <laughs> exactly, low and main. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see, I went into a Thai restaurant and tried to order some Thai sticks. Isn't that that was amazing? Thank you. At all. Good night, <laughs> Earl Bear, ladies and gentlemen. Doing the <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad you joined us today? You're paying for the phone call too. I don't really know. <laughs> well, at least it's not, not Nolo Guerra calling from Ireland. Just <laughs> want to pay the two dollars. Oh, am, am I paying for the phone call? I, just... oh, yeah, I think he's calling on his dad's phone. Yeah. Well, you know, I just turned my book in, Burl. You did. Well, would you drop a dime on the book? <laughs> I dropped the dime on the book. I turned it in. I'm going to turn state's evidence on it next. <laughs> but uh, hey, can you tell us about the new one? I, I would. I would love to tell you. Uh, it, it's it's called Knowing Prison: Ten Years and One Thousand Forty Six Books Behind the Wall, and it's a twenty chapter account of the different things that you would see and learn in prison. And uh, it's um, about a hundred thousand words long and. You know, they got they got me doing a couple of revisions on the first chapters. They don't like the beginning. It starts with a shit sandwich. Am I allowed to say that on the? Yeah, show? you can. Well, no, yeah. you can't. Uh, That's the, one of the reviews I got. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the so, book starts with something I saw in the very first year, in the very first month of the very first year that I went upstate. I saw a man fed a sandwich with uh, feces. No wonder they don't want to start with that. <laughs> no, no, they do want to start with Oh, they do want to start with that. It was at the end of the chapter, and they told me to put it in the beginning. I'm with uh, them. Yeah. you got to start with so, a shock. Give us, a, give us yeah. a, a taste of some of the things that, uh, that, that go on. Give us uh, some. Okay, well, well, so so with, well, just with the shit sandwich. So it was a, it was a guy who was, he was, uh, he was retarded. He was meant, meant, you know, he had an IQ of like 50. He was a child, right? And he had come to prison because he was, he's lifelong homeless, you know, guino. And he used to ride around um, the middle of Manhattan on a bicycle. And finally, he hit some old lady on the bicycle, and he knocked her down real bad, and he tried to get away. And he got caught. So they locked him up and they gave him one year, right? So when he has this one year, but when he gets upstate, they see that this guy, you know, he's, he can't function like a normal prisoner. He's, he's retarded. So they put him into a satellite unit where everybody's all medicated. And um, he's a black guy. He sees this sleeping white man, and he, he realizes that this sleeping man is the problem. He's the reason for all his, all his woes. So he beats him to death with oh a fire God. extinguisher. Well, you know, yes. you got to use what's uh, handy. Right. So we now, must make so fire extinguishers him, illegal now. Now they gave him 25 to life for the fire extinguisher murder. Yeah. So, that, so that's when I met him in a maximum security prison, 
and he, you know, even though he's retarded, they still had to put him in the prison because he killed somebody. And he was there begging for uh, food and cigarettes all day. Can Pop have a sandwich? Can Pop have a cigarette? So somebody finally gave him a sandwich. I trust. It, I trust his name is Pop. Yes, his okay. name was Pop. Just checking. So, so uh, somebody went and they went to their toilet and they 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 pooped on a piece of Wonder Bread mm. and they put another piece on top and they said, "Pop wants a sandwich. Here's a sandwich." So Pop had no teeth; he only had gums and a tongue. Mm. And I watched him bite into this oh. third sandwich and mush it around with oh. his tongue and gums. And you know what was the worst of it? He liked it. He took, he t no, he didn't like, but he, he actually took a second little nibble just to check if there was any mayonnaise or cheese in there mm. that he could actually eat, you know? That second nibble really broke my heart. And then he goes, oh, they done fed pop shit. No. Now, yeah, does, does, was, does mayonnaise go with that? or <laughs> no, It's the poor food combining, and it's okay. not kosher. All right. All right, I'm not getting... Yeah. So, you know, I, that, was really, that was really one of the first things. I, and I thought, wow, 10 years of this, huh? How, am I really going to come out the same? I don't, I don't think so. But, um, you know, that's how, that's how the book starts. And the, the chapters are not chronological. They're uh, thematic. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a chapter called The Velvet Mafia, which is about gay prisoners. Uh, that's like a whole community. There, uh, there's a chapter called Black is Beautiful. There's a chapter called White Power Shower Hour. Mm. Um, that's about all the skinheads in there. There's a chapter about uh, Strangers in a Strange Land, about the foreigners that get swept up into the system. You know, they don't deport them until they do their time. It's really cruel. <laughs> they have to do the whole sentence and then get deported. They can't get deported and do then, you know. Didn't it used to be the other way around? Yeah, I think I think at one point, because they figured, why spend money mm -hmm. on, on feeding and housing these people? But I guess the desire to get your revenge is so strong that they, that they still keep them now. And, and the weird thing is, is that by law, revenge is not allowed as a reason for finding someone guilty or punishing them. Well, you know, of course, that's why they changed the name of the places from prisons to correctional institutions. And, you know, you're not supposed to call them guards. They're correctional officers. Mm -hmm. But this is all nonsense. It's not, you know, they don't correct anything. It's, uh, it's, it's revenge. It's, it's, your, it's your punishment for having broken the, uh, you know, the social contract. Used to be at one time they tried to rehabilitate him, you know, <clears throat> give him a job, teach him a trade, like how to be a barber. Oh, shit, unemployment is so low right now that it's it's not... You should see how it is in New York City. There's signs all over the... Everywhere you walk, you see they need a pizza guy, delivery guy, window washer. This is this is the... If you, if you are a, you know, unskilled laborer, you can get a job. I mean, everybody's working. Hmm. This is good. So... This is good, yeah, Trump. Yeah. I don't know. Trump might have done something. When he wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> so you um, you spent some time in the hole. Uh, so yeah, I spent, I'm, you know, out of the total 10 years that I did, I spent one year and one month in the hole. But not all at once. The longest stretch at once was six months. That's still five and a half months too long. Absolutely, especially because it's not actually solitary confinement. They put you in a little tiny room with a maniac. Yeah, just, just, just for the sake of the audience, going to describe what the hole is. 
Absolutely. It's called SHU, which is pronounced shoe. So when I first got there and I hear about guys going to the shoe, I thought it was uh, to get boots or something. Mother <laughs> it turned out, turned out to be quite something else. Special housing. So that means that you're in a cell that has a shower in it, it has two cots in it, it has a little desk with slide-out chairs, and in the back there's a cage, which is kind of outdoors. Well, it's outdoors enough that it satisfies the federal requirement that each prisoner is allowed one hour of outdoor time a day. Oh, so that, that's it. That's like when ketchup was a vegetable. Well, yes, it's one of those things that's just really in the name of, you know. So you're, you're in this room. When, when Once you go into this room, you're not coming out of this room again for, for at least, I mean, I guess if you have to see a doctor really bad, but basically every, everything else is, comes to you. And it's not to say that you don't have human contact because you're in there with another person. But usually it's a despicable, horrible person <laughs> who, you, who you hate very soon. And, uh, you know, people, they fight all the time. You know, first of all, the guys, there have been plenty of times when the guys have raped each other. Or, and there's been murders. They've, you know, and then the guy hides the other one's body. Where do you hide the body? The little room? Under the, you, you, you shove it under the cot or you put it in the bed and make it look like it's sleeping. And then you take both trays and eat two dinners. Oh. I thought some That's last the whole time. reason. How long, how long does that Keeping last body. for? Yeah, how long do you not, get not that long, but you get a couple meals out of it. Jeez. Keep in mind, they, they really also don't feed you very much. Since they figure you're not moving, you're not doing anything, they feed you less than 2,000 calories a day. I would have estimated about 1,600 calories a day. So, and, and it's horrible food. I mean, it's really awful. I remember I ate a Snicker bar after six months in there, and I thought, my God, I can't believe these things taste so good. Because I'd be eating that crap inside. But... Now, did you, you know, lose weight while you were in prison? Because when you know, you know what I've been I've been clean and sober for for about fourteen months, and now I've really put on weight. I'm I'm at the I'm, I weigh two hundred and seventy pounds. Oh come on, really? Well, Burl, I've been you know it's I I had to make a couple choices in life, and I had to you know turn in my book. So pizza's uh, fat but clean. Look, I mean it's better. Well, right? yeah, I mean you get the book done and you get the book in. That's uh, that makes a difference. You get a check, don't you? <laughs> yes, I get I get a check, and now now I then I can relapse and get skinny again. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so you did uh, 90 days in the shoe for nothing. Tell us about. It. Oh God! Every well, I went to the shoe four times. Out of the four times, uh, three times it was for nothing, and the fourth time I deserved it. The time I deserved it, it was a really a simple case. I had taken somebody else's Percocet, and they came and took my urine, and it was dirty. There you go, guilty. Yeah, I pled guilty. But the every other time was such nonsense. Well, you did. So, uh, the, you created a contract for exchange of goods. Yes, the human souls. That was the most ridiculous episode. Well, okay, let's hear this. Let's hear it, Daniel. Oh, I actually just told this story on the Pat Dixon show. You're going to be in competition. But, uh, you know, I had a, I had a typewriter, and uh, I, had, I had stuff. I had things like granola bars and coffee and stamps. 
and uh, other people didn't, you know, because people have habits. People like to gamble, people like to smoke pot or, or K2 and stuff like that. And I had people asking me for stuff all the time, and I realized that they would rely on me for their coffee and then gamble away their actual money or smoke it up or whatever, you know. I, I was being made a fool of. So I thought, uh, how, do, how do I deal with this? How do I say no after having said yes so many times? It's hard, you know? Yeah. So I decided to use humor. I wrote out a contract. Sell your soul for the <laughs> item at hand. And in one night, I, sold, I bought five human souls. Good for I you. I bought three, three of them for coffee, one of them for a granola bar, and one of them for a stamp. Mm. Now, the contract... They looked very good because <laughs> because I'm not a you know I went to college I, I I can do this so I should have destroyed them we all had a big laugh everybody thought it was kind of funny the guard on duty thought it was funny I wish I had just thrown the paperwork away because in the morning some other guard came in I was gone I was out in the yard but by the papers with the with the human soul transactions I left them on my locker. And the guard who found these papers, he thought Satanism, he thought Satan was in the building. He, you know, something, he could smell the brimstone. So all of a sudden my name was, was, was uh, announced in the, in, in the yard. And, you know, when something like that happens, you say goodbye to your friends right then and there because you're probably not going to see them again. And I, that's exactly what happened. I said goodbye to everybody I was with, and I never saw any of those guys again because I got to the to the door of the yard, and they put handcuffs on me, and they threw me in the back of a van and drove me off to the SHU, to the to the solitary. And I, I was there for three days before I got the paperwork telling me why I was there. And the whole time I was thinking, could it really be the goddamn souls? Could it really be? Are we in medieval times? Could this written? No, it can't be. And it was. Yeah. It was the souls. It was for the crime was unauthorized exchange at a tier three level. <laughs> and I'll tell you, all the all the clergy of the of that jail came by to visit me and to apologize to me, because apparently the security people had come to them to ask whether this was. Uh, some kind of uh, religious. They were afraid that if they locked me up for this, I would argue that it's my religious right. <laughs> so they consulted with the clergy. And I mean, there was a Catholic priest, a Protestant minister, and, and a Muslim imam, and a Jewish rabbi. Four of them. Sounds like the start of a joke. <laughs> I know. They, but all four of them came by, and they said, we're so sorry this is happening to you. We try to tell them that, that this is obviously a joke and they shouldn't do this, but they wouldn't listen. So none of the actual people who dealt with security wanted to put their name on this because I think they had a feeling that maybe this wasn't the best thing to do. So what they did is they nominated the food handler. <laughs> they promoted him for a day to, to do my hearing. So he came to he wearing an apron from the warehouse. This was the guy who ordered macaroni for the prison. Yeah, he was put the him one in charge. The hearing. <laughs> they put him in charge of my case. He had no idea what to do, so every five minutes I would have to leave the room and he would call the actual deputy of security to ask what the hell to do with this. 
Mm. And, you know, in between when the tape wasn't running, I said, look, man, this is obviously a joke. Are you really going to go through with this? And he took a look at me with his cold eyes, and he said, absolutely. Because they called in a witness. A witness? They called, they called in one of the guys who sold his soul. Yeah. Did they talk about how much he missed it? <laughs> no. He was the only white one, actually. <laughs> that actually mattered later on, because when they put me in solitary, they put me with a guy who was uh, very racially uh, motivated, and he decided that I was quite guilty and that I was buying up the souls of black folk <laughs> in order to enslave them. That makes and sense I told to me. Him, I said, but listen, there was only three black souls, one Hispanic and one white, so... So I, I was quite, uh, you know, equal opportunity. Well, yeah. my, uh, my friend Donna McCook got in trouble with eBay because she was selling her soul on eBay. And, oh, her own soul. Uh, well, how could they, what, what could they say about that? Well, they said that if, if it exists, it's a body part, and you can't sell body parts on eBay. <laughs> Why not? Why can't you sell your own hair? For example, I guess maybe you can, but she she tried to sell her soul on eBay and they didn't. They, no, she got her hand slapped, or just took a slap, something slapped. Hmm. Well, I got I I got slapped of ninety days. So they brought the kid in, the witness, and I I got to question them first, and I said, "Listen, do you really believe that I have your soul?" Because you because you signed up the fucking dotted line. Do you really believe that? And he said, no, it was a joke. You don't have my soul. So I looked at the hearing officer and I said, so what? Case closed, right? No unauthorized transaction. He said, wait a minute. And he asked the kid, did you get the coffee? And he said, yes. He even put creamer in it for me. <laughs> And he, and he said, damn right, case closed. <laughs> oh, and, that, and that cup of coffee was what they used to find me guilty. Amazing. Well, there's and, and also my appeal was denied the appeal was... For, for, for the <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> I'd switch to tea if I were you. You'd have a good track record with coffee. There is a yeah. Oh, God, girl. <laughs> Say again? There's a technicality here. Uh-huh. On, on giving gifts. Well, yes. The, the thing is, is that in the rule about unauthorized exchange, in the fine print, it says that it's not just exchanges that are forbidden, but gifts, too. So in theory, every time you someone asks you for a spoon of coffee, you're supposed to get permission from the cops to give it to them. Really? So yes, if someone wants to bum a cigarette from you... Hey, can I have a cigarette? You're gonna get permission from somebody. Yes. Now this, you know, this is like the the, the two guys in Starbucks who claim, uh, you know, the rules are only for some people and not for others. How often do you think that rule has been uh, applied? It's the, called selective yeah. enforcement. Right. Exactly. So mine was very selective. It was. <laughs> it was just for me. We want the chubby little Jewish guy. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I just got a message for, for, for you that means nothing to our audience, but uh, that's to tell you that... Why are you doing this? Because <laughs> he got a message. It says, Eric, the Russian boxer, says hello from Russia. Get out of here. No, that's what it says. Where did, where'd you get that? I just came in on my phone. 
So, so all right. So, I know who that is. <laughs> well, I figured you would. Otherwise, I wouldn't have read it. So help us with the rest of the audience because I have no clue. Nor does uh, Mark C.G. Boyer. Who is Eric the Russian Boxer? Oh, well, he was a, he was a guy in a Georgian last name. He was a tough kid. Yeah. Was he, and uh, it's the same he, guy uh, I'm thinking of. No, I'm sure it is. He was a, you know, he wasn't a big guy, but he was in the boxing program, and uh, he sure uh, didn't, you know, he demanded respect from everybody, even though he was kind of a short guy. But he was very good with his hands, and he was kind of, kind of a, you know, a dangerous guy. What would he I be? I think he... He just came to America and stabbed somebody immediately. <laughs> he gets off the boat and stabs somebody? Yeah, he didn't speak too much English. So how did you get to know him? How did I get to know him? Oh, we got to know, well, see, all the Russians, uh, Russian-speaking people, including Armenians and Georgians and stuff, everybody said they're Jewish whether they're Jewish or not. And that way you get into the, the kosher program, and that was the best food in, 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 the, in the place. It's like flying on an airplane, always order the kosher meal. Well, yes, but, you know, there's dangers. You, do you know that, you know, Jackie Mason? You know Jackie Mason? Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, you know, he's one of those brilliant men in the world. And he said something very smart about this. He, he said that, that the worst thing in the world is to go to a cut-rate moil. <laughs> do, do we, do we know, does everybody know what a moil does? You can, you can, well, you can you're sitting with three Jews here. We know. Yeah, but we know, but the audience doesn't, Mark. You see, okay, we have in case to the audience doesn't know, a moil is a special type of rabbi who's trained in circumcision. In other words... The removal of the foreskin. On yes, removal your schmeckles. Stay old. So the so so what, what the cut rate moil does is he just takes the front off the fan, and he tells you to walk into it very. <laughs> but 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 here's the bad part. The tragedy is that whenever you do this, your friend comes into the same room and he sees you from behind and he says landsman and he gives you a big <laughs> clap on the back, and that's when all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I would imagine so. He's your biggest fan. Who? Who's uh, my <laughs> the Lonsman? The Lonsman. Now, uh, our pal Punch, the uh, Jim Heist guy, uh, yes. uh, he was in that kosher program also. Absolutely. He was Jewish. That, well, yes, he was. Yes. Yes, he was. That's, that's where I met him, in the kosher program. It was, it was, it was in Greenhaven uh, facility. You see, other places will give you cold kosher food uh, that was just wrapped up. But Greenhaven actually had a hot kosher kitchen, which meant that for Passover they would, you know, burn out the ovens, and uh, it, it was really very intricate, and they made some nice food. There. It was really stuff you wouldn't mind eating in the real world. Well, I'll tell you, when you uh, came here to visit to do that TV show where you were showing how to uh, uh, cook, uh, you know, a sauce Alfredo or something while in prison, you made some damn good cheesecake. Yes, yes, well... I mentioned that to someone how I ate a pound of that, or five pounds, whatever it was you no, made. No, you ate four pounds of cheesecake. I did. I really did. And That was a terrifying night. My wife and I both thought that that would be your last night on Earth. <laughs> I actually told this story to uh, someone who had also been in, in prison, and I mentioned this. They went, oh, yeah, that's great cheesecake. Here's how you make it. And he went through the recipes just like you did.
Yeah, I guess it's well known. Person but you're not supposed to eat the whole thing during a movie. <laughs> well, the lights were down. We were watching a great film and yeah, uh, totally into it. it. And you turned the lights on when the movie was over and the cheesecake was gone. <laughs> and the cheesecake was gone. We thought Burl was going to be gone. <laughs> it was damn good, though. Well, you oh, can imagine. Called, but call the authorities to start an investigation. We're going to take a break oh, to reminisce about the cheesecake. <laughs> we'll be back in about 60 seconds. Take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist. Saying goodnight from Hollywood. Hi! Yay! I am the legendary Burl Bear. I write true crime books. Yay! Yay! You probably say, but Burl, you haven't had a true crime book out this year. <laughs> and I say, yeah, I know, my banker reminded me. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> but I've been working on one. It'll be out uh, probably uh, sometime in the next 12 months. But in the meantime, buy all the ones I already have out. Betrayal in Blue, true story of Ken Jarrell and Michael Dowd, the cocaine-dealing cops of the NYPD. They weren't afraid of the cops because, well, they were the cops. Yippee-yay! Yeah. It was criminality in a squad car. Betrayal in Blue, buy it, read it, believe it. While you're at it, get a taste for murder. That's the one I co-wrote with uh, Frank C. Gerardo Jr. Another work of brilliance that you should buy immediately, if not sooner. And if you really want to throw your money away... <laughs> My back, yeah. yay, yay. No, my back list is available. And uh, Mom's Head Kill is coming out as a uh, audiobook soon. How about that? Back to true crime, uncensored, mm. with Burl Bear well, and what's Howard Lapidus. On the Balkan crime scene. What's on the Balkan crime scene? Yes, tell me about, about what you're doing there. No, Featuring <laughs> Mark C.G. Boyer. I'm doing the, uh, the story about our pal Punch and his dad. Very, uh -huh. very Shakespearean Serbian story. Do you ever find it difficult to eat and broadcast? Never. Nope. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe that was a problem. No, I've been eating uh, back when I was at KOL. I, <laughs> I used to order Chinese food, have it brought in. Yeah. We'd put it in bleachers, <laughs> and people would come in and watch me eat and play the hits. <laughs> and what was admission to that? Was it pricey? No, it wasn't. Well, it depends, <laughs> depends on gender. Okay. So it was Chinese food? Me Chinese too. Food, yeah. Me too, Burl. Yeah, 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 me eat Chinese food a long time. That's <laughs> another story. <laughs> you know, you know what's, what's strange to you about the, the, the Serbian thing is... People get famous for things that they didn't do or that weren't exactly what they sound like. For example, the Vizcaya Museum heist that's so famous, and there was no heist. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, tell, was, tell us about that. What do you mean? Well, everyone well, it's really weird because if you... Uh, originally, the, the guard at the Vizcaya Museum in Florida calls the cops 
and says, these guys came, and he said their boat broke down. They wanted to borrow a screwdriver. I opened the door. Next thing I know, they got a gun to my head. They tie me up, and they drag me over here, and then they stole all this uh, fortune and silver from the Vizcaya. They looted the place, which never happened. It was never. Na Napoleon silver, right? Yeah, Napoleon solo silver. <laughs> What? Yeah, it was okay. his uncle. Anyway. Oh, jeez. Ilya. <laughs> so what do you mean it never happened? What it was is the guard owed a lot of money, gambling debts. So he had been selling off pieces of stuff from the museum to uh, Alex, a.k.a. Texas, uh, who's a Serbian, and owned a taxi company in New York. And he was selling off pieces, which he in turn would sell uh, to Mr. Stan, which is Punch's dad. And... Uh, uh, the, our um, former ambassador to Switzerland says to Mr. Stan one day, uh, I bought a Rolls Royce, Silver Shadow, uh, having it delivered, and it's going to be at the Vizcaya Museum down in Florida. Will you be kind enough to go pick it up for me? And he says, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so uh, Taylor buys uh, Stan and his wife the one-way tickets down to Florida. And she this is great because it's Stan's birthday. They're going to have just a wonderful time in the romantic environments of the uh, Vizcaya yeah. Museum. So 26 acres of gardens, and it's just gorgeous. They go down there, and, and who shows up but, but Alex? Because Alex had made a deal with the guard to get some of this stuff that he's uh, selling off. And uh, it's all loaded into these Louis Vuitton suitcases in the closet. All they got to do is go to the closet, get the suitcases, and drive home. And so that's exactly what they do. And the guy, and Stan goes to drive off in the Rolls Royce with the suitcases in it. And the guy's going, wait, no, put it all back. Because the guard had a, this fake story all planned about how at midnight he's supposed to be robbed. And this is in the afternoon. So this is messing with this whole plan. He was going to rat everybody out, have them caught. He'd be a hero, but he'd already have the money and he could pay off the gambling debt. Uh, oh, yeah. So Stan drives off with two of the Louis Vuitton suitcases. The guard goes down and goes, there's more, you know. I got a whole bunch of more stuff that you can have if you come back at midnight. <laughs> so he comes back at midnight. They load up uh, his van with a bunch of stuff, and they take off for New York. And that's when the guard calls the cops and says, I've just been robbed, but this is, the museum's been looted. And he wouldn't change his story. And he tries to blame it on the uh, mob guy that he owes the money to. He says, that's the guy who did it, who came at gunpoint. Figured, you know, killed two birds with one stone. Unfortunately, the guy had an alibi. He was in FBI custody at the time. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, oh, so it was just a real mess. And when uh, Punch's dad and mom, this is before Punch was born, uh, when they got busted, the cops that uh, come in and, and arrest, arrest them on suspicion of having stolen merchandise. Had never even heard of the Vizcaya heist, which was only like the day before. They were there, there to shake them down for six grand. <laughs> really? Stan didn't have the six grand on him, so they took about a million dollars worth of uh, antiques from Stan's place that were were not part of the museums. There was uh, some things there that were the, you know, the thing from Napoleon that was priceless. But the majority of things that they took uh, were not from the Vizcaya uh, at all. There were things that Stan had acquired either legally, most of it legally, by buying it from people who stole it in Europe. <laughs> but, a legitimate purchase from of a stolen item. That's right. And so that's why they, they only arrested uh, him on suspicion of possession of stolen merchandise and was never prosecuted for it. So there. So there. But there never was a heist. It was just an inside, an inside job that got a big reputation. And isn't life fascinating? 
I think Do you have so. any other fascinating stories for us today? Bro? Yeah, when I'm a guest on the show, I'll tell you some more. Okay. <laughs> Daniel's had exciting life. Daniel, I want to go back to one of the more painful memories in your life, and that's when you committed the crimes that got you sent away to prison. Yes. What about them? Well, kind of, what was that week like for you? Oh, well, that was one of the, that was probably the worst week of my life. I would imagine so. Let's hear about it. You know, do you know what really kind of caused it? What? Credit cards. And I'll tell you why. Now, here I am. I was, I was a 24-year-old drug, drug drug-addled kid. And they gave me a $6,000 credit card for no reason whatsoever. Why? I don't know why. I applied for it, and they gave me $6,000 of credit, even though I had, I, I had no job and no assets. So it took me about a, a month and a half to turn all $6,000 of credit into heroin, and um, I, I used up the stuff, and I had a habit that was sky high. Yeah. So the week that you mentioned is the week that the credit card ran out. Oh, so what do you, what is a grown man to do when his credit card runs out? So so here I was stuck with this no longer working credit card and at least a hundred dollar a day habit, and uh, that's when things got real desperate. That that's how I ended up making my own uh, turn to crime. It wasn't really a planned out thing. Uh, you know, and I got away with the first one very easily, so I did a couple more. It wasn't a lot of money. It was really just enough to keep the uh, drug habit going. Uh, unfortunately, well, wait, 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 didn't, didn't you go into a store and kind of like walk around and then say, excuse me, folks, uh, I hate to bother you, but I'm going to have to rob you? <laughs> Well, I wasn't quite that that because I don't think that would have worked very well. But I, I did, you know, say I, I did apologize thoroughly to the people I I, I robbed. I mean, I remember uh, one guy. I, I took his wallet and I took the cash out and I tossed him back the wallet. And I told him, "Look, pal, I'm sorry. I just needed to do this." And that was one of the ones I actually got I got convicted for. And um, you know what? It didn't I'll tell you honestly? It didn't. It didn't help me in court. It, did, it didn't matter one bit because uh, I really. You ever read Bonfire of the Vanity? Yeah, yep. Well, I was the great white defendant that day. Oh. I was the only young white white kid going going up for uh, armed robbery, you know, and uh, there there's so many. You know, young black kids, they were sending away day after day after day that to get a guy like me was was uh, interesting for them. And also, I, I think, like, they, they, they felt that I, I, should, I should know better. And that's why, that's why they hit me really hard. That's well, they sure did 10 years? Yeah, 10 years for five counts of armed robbery in which nobody was touched. And the, the whole amount of money that was taken was $1,000. You should have just got another credit card. <laughs> well, I, yeah, if I, if I could have had my limit uh, uh, raised a little, then none of it would have happened, right? You should have said that you were IMP, a pie, <laughs> to do. Tell them you were rich. You want your credit limit raised. I don't know why they gave me the, the damn card in the first place. I, had, I was unemployed. You said, I'm an unemployed drug addict. Please give me a $6,000 credit card. Visa. <laughs> it was a Visa card. All, I took all the all all the credit I took as cash advances. Of course. 
<laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> well, I guess, you know. They charge you a higher interest rate on that, you know. Oh. Did you pay off the card thing. ever? Say again? Did you pay off the card? No, because I did over seven years, and seven years is long enough for your credit to, uh, you know. Recover? Recover, yes. Uh, so, no, I never did pay off the card. I bet your wife was thrilled with you with it when this happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was uh, She was absolutely thrilled. We'd been married a whole six months. Oh, God. So, I'm surprised she didn't knock you silly, or maybe she did. No, she didn't have a chance to. I was behind bars <laughs> by, you know, by the time she found out about the crime. Oh. And she stayed with you, though. She stayed. She stayed. You know, I, I, uh, she was, she was beautiful and competent and young and smart. And you know, I told her, I understand if you got to go, you, I, you know, it's probably the right thing to do. And she said, uh, well, you know, I, I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> she thought about it for ten years. <laughs> she just had trouble making up her mind. I yeah, think with Cynthia, you probably told her you're going to buy that red rubber dress that you. <laughs> oh, you remember the red. I remember dress. her red rubber uh, why dress. Why don't you explain yeah. the red rubber dress? Oh, he'll he'll have to explain it. I can't. I, you know, Burl just seen a couple photographs he wasn't supposed to see, and 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 asked, did she, Burl, did she bring the red rubber dress when she came? I don't remember. I don't think so. She should have if she did. But, you know, we, we, we were going to a wedding. It was kind of the wrong thing to wear. Yeah. Honeymoon, yes. Wedding, no. Well, it, you know, it was actually a gay wedding. It was oh. two women who were married, and now they have a child. That's interesting. They've adopted an actual oh, okay. child, yes. That happens. Like Madonna. Yeah, and Angelina Jolie. Yes, and you. And me, yes, I, I adopted one too. And I'm not even a lesbian. Yeah. Wow, everybody can get one. Yeah. Well, that was to prove I, I was a good liberal. I adopted a black child. Now I'm gonna ha I, I have to raise one too? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, when I was a young black child. Yeah, <laughs> that. Well, the only way that is true, there is a theory from the 1920s that did prove out to be genetically correct. And that is that. It wasn't phrenology? No, it wasn't phrenology. The Jews are from Africa. Well, yeah, what? Yeah, didn't you know that? No, they're they're from the Pale of Settlement. Yeah, they're from the um, <laughs> the kibbutz, <laughs> the African kibbutz. Well, they, oh, they have look. Well, if you mean in the sense that we're all from Africa at yeah. some point, then yes, of course. Fifty thousand years ago, we were all in Africa. But I don't think that the Jews are especially African. Yeah, I think so. We've got a DNA. You know what? I'll tell you, here's another interesting one. The largest concentration of DNA-identifiable Jews, Cohen-class Jews, in America is not New York. It's what? New, it's New Mexico. The, the Catholics, the Hispanic Catholics are actually... You mean the conversos. That's right. The conversos, the occult Jews, the, the hidden ones. Yes, that's very interesting. But, y you know, but if they didn't consciously preserve the tradition, then do the genetics really matter? Only if you're but talking about K-Sex. What's that, Mark? Only if you're talking about, uh, you know, Grazakanazi and oh. transferable K-Sex. No one knows what the hell you're talking about. Oh. <laughs> you're talking about Tay-Sachs. Yeah. The sickle cell of Jews. Correct. That's right. Go, oh, 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 oh Tay-Sachs. Oh, no, that's Jewish sauce. AIDS. Yeah. 
You, you <laughs> it's a horrible it, name for it. You, you get it in the Schwitz. Yeah. Well, actually, what it's you think about the, the preservation of it. It's only stopped being preserved, shall we say, within the last couple of generations because uh, I've talked to many of these people, and they say, well, yeah, my, my grandmother lit candles on Friday night, and on the gravestone, it was like a flower, but if you let your eyes focus on it, it's, it's got a Star of David in there. Uh, you know, so the grandparents were still doing it, but kind of got lost after that. Um, but why? In America, it's perfectly free to be a Jew. Why? Why oh, yeah. would it? I mean, they saw a gentleman's agreement. Hey. I don't know. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> Perhaps he needs to read the manifesto. <laughs> yeah, maybe he needs to read Protocols of the Elders of Zion. <laughs> well, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, as far as I can tell, they're written in Crown Heights by the Jews right now. <laughs> I, you know, I don't live in Brooklyn anymore. I moved to Queens. Ah. But, you should uh, be severely the, chastised. Huh? Say again? You should be so, severely chastised for your... See, never say again when you say something that it has nothing to do with the conversation. Yeah, you just let it pass. You let it go. Yeah, you like gas. Yeah. <laughs> Same difference. Yeah. Who told Mark he could talk? Got it. I did. <laughs> Howard's so, becoming suicidal over here. <laughs> becoming? Yeah, no, I am suicidal. Well, I'll miss you, Howard. I'll well, you. first of all, Burl... Uh, one second, Daniel. Uh, this experiment of eating and broadcasting at the same time? You found out the hard way. It's not work. Okay. I, I'm you know, chewing I was, something I was soft. I told not to chew gum. I was told I better not chew gum on yeah. air ever again. Don't do that. You're right, Dan. radio station. That's right. But no, nobody asked, but I will, I will answer the question as to why Burl... Okay, you're down. Uh, as to why uh, uh, Burl is so good on the radio. Because Burl, because Burl Bear never tries to be something or someone. And Burl Bear isn't eating on the air for effect. He's eating on the air because he's hungry. Well, right. And that's <laughs> that's the only way this sort of thing works. Right. Right. If I was doing it for effect, it it's would stupid. Work. No, yeah. it's just it sounds stupid. But it sounds stupid. Anyway. But he's a maniac. <laughs> but Howard, when Howard eats on the air, he's potato chips. <laughs> it sounds like a monster truck rally in here. You know that I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm not hiding anything. No, not hiding. He's a crunch. <laughs> I haven't had chips on the air in at least. You'd be a bad cat burglar. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, because you know he'd have to be eating while he's yeah, burglarizing. Crunch, crunch, crunch. <laughs> DNA evidence okay. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> is this show still going on? No. I think we're. I think, I think we're. we're where's our guest? Your yeah, guest yeah, is I'm there. Here, he's here. a swell. He's a swell guy from Queens. He is. Yeah, he's a swell queen who, from. Who moves from? Bro do you move from Brooklyn to Queens? Yeah, Queens is fine. Yeah, I, I live in Flushing with the. Chinese. Yep. Uh, I know. Hey, by the way, the Chinese, very tidy and good business people. Yes, they're great. Yeah. Say goodbye. And I love the, f I love the food. <laughs> I've learned about cuttlefish. Daniel, we'll have you on again. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Okay. Hey, how long till your book comes out? Yes, I will definitely be in touch. Burl, <laughs> you stay healthy. Be well, Howard. Nice to see you. Talk to you again. Okay, uh, hug your wife and slap her rubber dress for me. I'll, I'll <laughs> hey, bro. Right. Yeah. What's next? Magic Man out of the Demons of Decadence live in the Light of Lounge, where they got Twizzlers <laughs> and Cheetos and Onions. Mmm, yum. <laughs> Kalo, Kalo, Kalo. <laughs>